Welcome to Bible Bites, a podcast series bringing to you short biblical reflections to help us live our lives in light of God's Word. My name is Tawanda Masango, a staff worker with Focus Zimbabwe, based at the National University of Science and Technology, NAST, in Blawayo, Zimbabwe. Our friends, uh, have you heard about the Amish people? You see, I came across them just a few years ago. And as I was reading about these people, um, I was really struck by some fascinating things about them. You see, they decide to live their lives very different to the modern world as we know it. Here are some of the things that I found about the Amish people. When they stick to symbol dressing, no fancy fashions and designs. No, they don't use electricity. They stick to old-fashioned you know, firewood for cooking and for powering different things. They also don't use modern transport. They still stick to horses and carts. You can see that if you check the images online about the Amish people. But this one really caught my attention, the last one. They don't take any photos or videos. That's interesting. No selfies uh, as we know them today. You can read more about the Amish people uh, on various uh, platforms online. But really the striking thing about the Amish people is how they live their lives so differently to everyone else. And friends, that is the heart of our passage today. Come with me to verse 15 and hear what Peter says. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Peter is saying your God is holy. As his people, as his children, as people who have been called by him, as elect exiles, you also be holy. But what does it mean that God is holy? How are we to attain the same holiness as his people? Well, friends, the word holy or hagios in the Greek, it means something is different from the rest. Something is set apart or something is dedicated for a special purpose or special use or function. So when we say God is holy, We are saying God is different from all other gods in terms of who he is, his nature, in terms of what he does. He is different. Hear these words uh, from Psalm 96, from verse 4. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord has made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are his sanctuary. You see, the point is, there's no other God like our God. Our God is holy. Our God is different from Allah, from Buddha, from Sikavanu, from any other deity or God that you may ever think of. And because this God is holy and is the one who has called us, Peter is saying our lives ought to be holy lives as well. See, this was the case for Israel 
back in the Old Testament. God had chosen them to be different among all the other nations because they were his people. And the same is true for the church today. We have been called by the same God. And that calling to a secure hope, to a living hope, to a great salvation means we are going to be different from the people around us who are not followers of Jesus. But how are we to be different? How are we to be holy? Two things. We are called to be holy in our lifestyles. We are called to be holy, secondly, in our relationship with God. Let us begin by our calling to holy lifestyle, a call to holy lifestyle. Did you see where this holiness starts? Peter starts with the mind. In verse 18, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Peter is saying, our thinking will change when we live with the end in mind. We, we no longer put our hope on the things of this earth, be it our money, be it our jobs, be it our careers, be it even people, our family, or trusted friends. We don't put our hope on them. But our hope now, our focus now, is on the grace of God to be revealed when Jesus comes. How often do you think about the coming of Jesus? and the fullness of our salvation that will be revealed when he comes back. Peter is saying, set your hearts, set your hopes fully on that. I've been really challenged, friends. Where do I set my hopes, my focus in life? I don't think this is to say we have to resign from our jobs, we have to sell our houses, we have to stop going to school and pursuing careers. But he's saying, don't put your hope, don't put your trust in those things, as good as they may be. Don't place your hope in them. Because they are temporary, because they are fading. And in Jesus, you have something that is more precious, something that is more secure and everlasting. That is your salvation. So he's inviting us to start with a change in our minds, a change of perspective in our thinking so that we can see not just what is around us, but we begin to see right at the end of times. We begin to see according to God's uh, timeline. But our holiness, friends, is more than just changing our mindsets. No, we are set apart. We are to be holy in our whole manner of life. And we are to do this as obedient children of God. What a good reason for living a holy life as obedient children. We are now members of God's family and he is our father and he's a good father. I can think of my father. You see, he's one of the most gentle people that I've ever met in life. He was a gentleman. During our childhood, spanking was a common thing. And, you know, in our house, in our home, my mom did most of it. She did not spare the rod. 
but I don't have memories much of my father spanking me or even all of my other sisters. But strikingly, we, we respected him, we feared him, though he did not spank us that often. And I think one of my fears, uh, as I reflected back, was to disappoint him. I didn't want to disappoint him because uh, he was he was not going to because not because I was going to beat me, but because I respected him. I respected his character. I respected how good and gentle he was with me. So how do we obey our heavenly Father? Of course, my father can't compare at any level with God. He's a great God. He's a, he's a loving God. He's a, he's a gentle God. Any characteristics you want, he has it to the infinity. How are we to obey this great God who is our Father? I think two things. Firstly, we are to crucify our old lusts and passions. In verse 14, as obedient children, do not be confirmed, conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He's saying in our former lives, in our time of ignorance, we had passions that we followed. We followed the lure of the world, the things that look pleasing in the world, the things that look prestigious in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lies of the devil, we followed those things. But the grace of God has appeared. We now know our new identity in him. We cannot continue to live the same way. There could be certain passions today, as we, as we look at this passage, in your life, in my life, that God is challenging us to crucify, to kill, for they belong to our former lives. What is it for you? As we leave our old passions behind, we pursue, we, we pursue this new way of living. So we crucify our former lusts and we cultivate a new way of living. That is the new way of holiness. Where we make choices that makes us maybe at times to look different. Where, where everyone else is living for money. As God's people, we are giving out our money. When everyone else around us is chasing after fame and position, we as God's children, we are confident and secure in our position as his children saved by him. And it may feel like we are missing out, but we know we are not. And Peter is calling us to this holy way, holy conduct. And he says, in all your conduct, which means it should shape really all of our lives. Be it parenting, be it our, our choices of career, be it um, you know, our choices of what we spend our money on. Peter is saying, be holy. We are not to try to live our very best lives now because we know that our best life is coming when Jesus will appear. Friend, this is not easy or comfortable. I do not bring this to you as someone who has mastered it, but as a fellow child of God, longing 
to see God work that holiness in my life and in your life as well. And remember from the beginning of, uh, of last week's uh, passage, we saw that God is working by His Spirit to sanctify us in verse 2 of chapter 1. So as we talk about these things, please don't hear me say, you are just on your own, trying your best to be holy. No. God's Spirit is at work in you, sanctifying you, making you holy. But the second thing that we are called to, of course we talked about the call to this holy way of living. Secondly, he calls us to a holy fear. A holy fear. Verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exam. Conduct yourselves with fear. But hang on. Are we not told more than 365 times in the Bible to fear not, you may ask? Well, there's a kind of fear that we ought to avoid. But there is another kind of fear, a fear of God, a healthy fear of God, that we need to have, that our world today has forgotten. See, God is not only a loving Father, a forgiving Father, a caring Father, a shepherd. We know that our God is also a judging God. He's also a judge who's going to come. And we know that when Jesus comes back for the second time, he's coming to destroy. He's coming to judge the devil and all who follow him. The psalm meets in Psalm 139. He tells us that we cannot hide from God. If we go underwater, he is there. He knows even our thoughts. He knows even the words before they come out of our, our mouths. He knows our every intention, our motive in doing what we do. It should be scary, friends, to have such person as our judge. And we need not to take our God lightly. He's a great and powerful God. A quick read of the Old Testament will show you how powerful our God is and how his wrath is to be feared. But for us who believe, for us who, cause us who call ourselves the children of God, we are not to have a paralyzing fear that drives us away from him. No. Remember the story of the disciples in the book of Mark at the end of chapter 4. They were in a boat crossing the sea and a huge storm arose and the boat was about to sink, and we are told Jesus was asleep at the deck. And the disciples were terrified. It was a big storm because they were fishermen, uh, used to be in the water. But they were so terrified, and they went to Jesus crying, Master, Master, don't you care we are about to die? And Jesus said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? And we are told that soon after that, he spoke a word and the storm calmed. You know, the seas uh, you know, went back to normal, normal storms. And we are told that the disciples were greatly terrified after this. Now they're no longer afraid of the storm as before. Now they're now terrified at Jesus. And they're saying, who is this man that even the winds and the waves, they listen to him? 
friends, I want to think that second fear that they had, not the fear of drowning that they had before Jesus came. So the second fear of who is this man that even the winds and the waves, they can listen to him. It's kind of like awe. It's kind of like reverence. Uh, who is this great man who can do what only God can do? And we, we know the disciples didn't get off the boat and run away uh, at that point. They continued following and listening to Jesus. So they had that fear, and I think it was a fear that did not drive them away, but draw them to him in awe, in surprise, in, in reverence of this great um, Son of God whom they were following. And friends, yes, Jesus is coming back to bring his final judgment to the devil, to all those who follow the devil. And if you haven't believed in Jesus, I think there's a good reason to be terrified. But for those who believe, the good news is that the judge is also our savior. So Peter turns to this assurance uh, in verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the future ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He's saying, you were already ransomed. You were redeemed. Jesus has paid the price, and it's a costly price for your sins and my sins. And Peter wants us to see the, the value of Jesus' precious sacrifice and also the virtue of his blood which was shed for our sins. You see, this blood was not like silver or gold. He says, you were ransomed from your future ways inherited from your father, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. You see, our world today, people think if you have got enough gold reserves, you are set, you are good to go. Peter is saying, these are perishables. These are not worth much as compared to the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, the blood of Jesus, Peter says, it is sufficient to pay for our sins. It has got immense, immeasurable value. You see, in the Old Testament, when you wanted to sacrifice for your sins, you were not just going to pick up any sheep that he had around. There was a specific kind of sheep that was required, a perfect sheep without any blemish of a certain specific age and color. I'm sure they were not easy to find. This perfect sacrifice um, sheep that, that met these qualities. But again we know that the sacrificial system in the Old Testament of the Israelites where they sacrificed in the temple now and again it was just a shadow uh, pointing forward to the real and the permanent and the full sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The Son of God dying on that cross satisfying all the requirements for our forgiveness and paying once and for all for our sins. No more need for any further sacrifices after this last one. 
hear how the writer of the book of Hebrews uh, puts it uh, puts it across. Hebrews chapter ten, uh, verse eleven. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That places us in a special relationship, friends. A holy, a different relationship because Christ has paid his precious blood for us. When we are now walking around, we may look the same, we may uh, you know, do the same things, may do the same job, we may live in the same suburb, but if that blood of Christ has paid for your sins, you are set apart. You have a special relationship with God. You are not like everyone else. I read a story about this um, ship in Antarctic liner. And it was said uh, it, it hit some, uh, a storm. And the passengers were all cuddled up uh, in one of the um, you know, cabins. And the waves were pounding and pounding and they thought they were dying. And suddenly the door was opened and another passenger walked in and he was saying, I know it's, it's all right, it's all right, do not panic. I've just been to see the captain of the ship. He does not look disturbed at all. He looks calm and he says everything is under control. Friends, our world can feel the same, can feel out of hand, can feel like we're in the midst of a storm. But as children of God, are we able to say we have seen the captain's face? He has got things under control and we are not to panic. We look at the face of Jesus from the pages of the Bible. We see that he has got everything, everything for our lives now and for our future to come. He has got everything under control. And our relationship with him now changes everything for us. Our fear is replaced with solid faith and hope for the future. And as we wait, we confidently live lives that are different because our relationship with him is different. Now let us pray. Our God and Father, we thank you that you have chosen us, you have elected us to be your children. And Father, we know that in this world we are exiles, we are passers-by. We pray, Father, that you help us to let that calling shape who we are, to let that calling shape our identity, to let that calling shape our choices now, that we may live differently because we have been called by a holy and a powerful and a different God.